From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Tucson, Arizona and currently residing in Tampa, Florida. He is the co-founder of Demio. Please welcome David Abrams. What's going on? I love that intro, man. So much energy and so fun. For those of you who couldn't see the video, David was raising the roof as he walked down in his, for his uh, grand entrance there. He is yeah, David gonna... Abrams, the co-founder of Demio. What is Demio? It's a webinar platform built for marketers to engage and convert their audiences through live conversations. Demio makes it easy for marketers to run effective webinars through a reliable experience, reducing setup time, and fueling results through marketing-focused features. And since Demio is built with marketing teams in mind, they ensure a seamless integration with any marketer's tech stack. It allows them to get better results faster by easily reaching out to audiences with a targeted message, increasing engagement, and ultimately increasing conversions. Now, Demio has grown to 22 team members entirely bootstrapped with over 3,000 active customers and 1 million plus webinars run on their platform since 2017. That is a heck of a lot of webinars. And to sell those, to sell Demio as a platform and to get all those people running all those webinars, they have had to do a lot of demos themselves. And that's why today our topic is lessons learned from running 4,000 plus demos. Now, David, usually my first question is, why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you? But I think we can at least make that assumption. Instead, I'm going to ask, what has it been like to go from one to 4,000? Oh man, it's been, uh, it's been quite the journey. And I, you know, I kind of think back through the years of, of the process that we went through, you know, there was a lot of up and down like question marks in the early days as we were building the platform, how are we going to like, you know, launch this out there? And we went through uh, a free beta period. We went through a launch process and then we went into this demo selling process, uh, which really fueled a lot of that early growth. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of question marks to fill in. And I think, for us, it was a way to solve a lot of those problems, you know, asking questions to our customers, learning from them, helping getting them set up on the platform. But this was like really early stage, you know, Demio. We are going to learn all about that growth process and all the key lessons learned along the way. Before we do, 
let's learn a little bit more about your background, David, and who you are. You actually mentioned offline that although you're from Tucson, you're actually born in uh, Brownsville, uh, Brownsville, te- Brownsville or Bronzeville, Texas. Brownsville, Texas. Brownsville, yep. Texas. Uh, and you mentioned there's actually an interesting backstory to that. You mentioned you're adopted. I'm curious to if you could just share the, the journey there. Yeah, no, it's actually, it's a pretty crazy story. Um, my mother was an, an immigrant from El Salvador and uh, she, you know, had come up from El Salvador to to work to send some money back to the family, um, was bringing a two-year-old child, was crossing the Rio Grande, uh, you know, right at Bronzeville. Bronzeville's right on the border, was nearly drowning, was saved from the river, was like living in a, a dirt floor um, house basically it was a, a garage with no running water with a two-year-old you know gets pregnant can't go home has to have me and so I think about this story all the time because it's just like the gratitude and the gratefulness that like all of the million things in my journey to, to lead me to, to even being born and being here sitting with you today it's just like it's insane to me but uh, you know I was adopted there in Brownsville right again right on the border she left and uh, we moved to, to Tucson Arizona which is where I grew up so um, you know I've had uh, quite the unique opportunity in this life, I think, to to do something really cool. And have you maintained contact with your mom since then? Your birth mom? No, I you know I don't even know I don't even know her last name. To be honest with you, um, I think you know she had her own family, and it probably would have only been uh, detrimental to that family. You know, mm. if I had come back in that picture, I'm, I'm sure. You know, if she's alive, there's probably thoughts and thinking about me, but you know, it's never been anything that I've thought about my, my family that adopted me, uh, although they're, they're past now, they, they were very, you know, instrumental in my life. So I've always thought of them as, you know, my real, my real parents. That's, that's, that really is an interesting story. And I think it, um, I've known you for about a year now. And I think what, what you mentioned, the, the, the point of like how much gratitude you have, I think it actually really does reflect in your personality. Uh, I've not never gotten the sense of like ego out of you or anything like that, um, which I think is really easy when you start a company is to is to have ego. Um, sure. So I think that that sort of sheer sense of gratitude at all times really reflects through in, in how you present yourself to others. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I think that humility is definitely a big thing uh, that we all have to have. And remember that like status and titles and stuff like that, uh, you know, on paper, they're good. But at the end of the day, we're all, you know, working together. Like I think about our team and the people that have helped create this company. And it's not like, it's not like I did this, you know, it's like all of us did this, our customers did this with us. And I have gratitude for them. And I think the other side of it is just remembering that, you know, we're all human, we're all mortal. This is our, our limited time here. And, uh, you know, you just got to enjoy it because, you know, ultimately we're all going to the same place. Yeah, I think I was, it was either on a previous episode of this show or a different podcast I was being interviewed on. I remember mentioning how I'm always like, what I find to be like always humbling is like, it's funny, like in, in the world that we operate in, like a lot of us are on LinkedIn and then people get to know you through LinkedIn. If you create content, you start to get this, I don't know, sub element of fame, if you even want to say that. And then to me, yeah. I'm like you kind of fool yourself into thinking you're important. And then like the humbling aspect for me is that like, I don't know, there's these people out here who are like, they happen to know my name or like my content or whatever. But then like some of my friends who I like see all the time don't really have like any clue, like what I do or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, and I don't mean that in like a bad way. I'm just like, that's like the humbling moment is they're just like, I don't, I don't give a damn about that stuff. <laughs> right. I've known you since you were a kid or something like that. Right. Yeah. You're still the same person. And, uh, it's funny how, like, like you said in quotes, like internet fame kind of changed the way you see yourself, even though it may just be a little bit of uh, an image, you know? Yeah. 
Now, growing up in Tucson, uh, I'm curious, what was the first job you ever had? Yeah, I was a dishwasher at a bar. That was my first job in college. Uh, That's always humbling, right? Starting at the (laughs) bottom, uh, working my way up from there to a line, to a server, you know, working through hospitality. I think hospitality is something that everyone should do at some point in their life, just because you learn so much about people and, and service and Um, you know, how to just give a good experience. It's been something that I've brought from, you know, my hospitality days, even in the early days of like, how can we give a good like service experience here? Um, And I used to have an agency before Demio and and a lot of that came there too. It's like, how can we provide really good service? And I learned from, from the companies that I was working with in hospitality there. But um, yeah, I I mean, technology came after college, uh, but yeah, it's definitely started at the bottom. Well, and I think that idea of, providing good service is very much embedded into Demio. I mean, when I read the Demio introduction there, it was entirely built around making a better experience for marketers. I could have read a bio on Demio that was about all the bells and whistles, but it was very much a bio built on how it can make a marketer's life easier through the service, you know, quote unquote, provided uh, via the product and the type of experience delivered. So on that note, can you talk through when did the idea of Demio first come to mind and how did it all get started? Yeah. So I think the idea was actually blossomed like end of 2014, early 2015. Uh, my co-founder Wyatt, who has been absolutely critical, instrumental through the whole process, like, you know, it wouldn't be without this company wouldn't be without him. So, uh, you know, a lot of gratitude for, for him and, and his part in this journey. Um, but realistically, you know, we're both coming from marketing backgrounds. We, we find a problem where, you know, he's trying to run his SEO business. I'm running an agency. We're utilizing webinars to do these things. Webinars become that critical piece of this marketing process that we're building. But the problem is that the technology that we're using doesn't connect well, doesn't integrate, isn't built for marketing, you know, doesn't have the analytics we need. It's crashing. There's technical problems. And so our pain point was there. We were able to look in the marketplace itself to our network, to other people in groups and stuff like that. Everyone's complaining about the, the, the platforms out there. So we look at it as, okay, we can solve our own pain as well as go out there and solve this for other people. Ultimately, we underestimated the size and scope of a project like this, especially going to market against big competitors that are already out there. There's like some baseline of, you know, technology already built. So pretty much it took us about two years to get through that process. And I mean, we could do multiple hours of mistakes and lessons we learned through that two-year process of building what became the early stages of Demio. But that's where the problem came from. That's where the idea came from. Um, so luckily we're marketers, you know, building a marketing platform along the way. So much has, uh, shifted and been reshaped and we've learned so much from these conversations with our customer base and with bigger SaaS companies that, you know, we're pain points that we didn't even know were there. Cause sometimes when you're so narrowly focused on your own pain and you're like a solopreneur or you're just like a small agency, you don't know what the bigger problems are for other customers. Yeah. And that's a really, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it sounds like there was a bit of a climb to like figure out what this product was really supposed to be yeah. and who you were going to deliver it to. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, that's what a lot of the first year and a half uh, for us was, was that climb, was that, you know, figuring out those, uh, those pieces. 
Um, you know, a lot of spent money on areas that we could have done better. I mean, I think if we were to go back and do this again, there'd be, you know, so much that we would redo, but that's everyone's journey, right? Like it's so easy to look back and see everything clearly when you look back. But, uh, you know, I think the, the biggest thing that I, that I always mentioned to, to Wyatt, to my co-founder is like, man, through all of that, through everything that we learned and all the mistakes that we look back on, like we still made it here and we're still like going forward with a great product, great customer base, like we're still learning. So it's like, that's the only thing that you can really bank on is learn from those lessons. When it's hard, you just keep moving forward and you just learn and you just adapt to that. Yeah. Now this takes us into our primary topic today, which is lessons learned from doing 4,000 plus demos, which is, you know, no small feat to even run that many demos. If you take us back to, you know, sort of that time period you were just speaking about uh, versus now, um, how was Demio originally being sold? Was it even a demo? And what would you say are like the major differences versus now? Well, again, in that two-year period when we were building, we had gone through different iterations of the app. So there was a downloadable app. There was uh, in-the-browser app. We ultimately went in-browser with a really beautiful, nice, clean, easy-to-use system. And that, that's one of our main differentiators is simplicity. But in the beginning, we were doing a lot of like early sales demos, just getting validation and feedback from customers. So everything was sold through a demo. Uh, we brought up about $2,000 in MRR in the very early days, I think in 2017, and then we decided to change to go back to the browser. So we had to refund everyone. We closed off all the sales. It was a really tough decision. We go back to development, rebuilt it to the way it is now. We went into a beta process. And from that beta process, we were doing like activation demos. So that became part of that kind of workflow, getting people into the product to see if we can get them going. Then we went into a seven day launch where we launched discounted annuals. There was no demos being sold uh, for that because it was like an affiliate based launch. But what we did do is we did like one-on-one activation demos afterwards. And that became a really good source for us to learn from like a lot of those customers were coming in, you know, probably weren't the best fits. A lot of solopreneurs, early stage entrepreneurs. And so we were like kind of activating them, talking about the platform. And it really gave us some, some understanding that we may need to get on the phone and start selling this stuff. Like we may need to do demos with people to figure out like, what is different with them? You know, why, why this platform over another platform? So that became kind of the lead source for like, maybe we should have a trial option out there. But uh, we did a, at that time we were doing like a credit card required trial. And then also for people who were interested, but were kind of afraid to take or put in their credit card, a demo option. And what happened is that became a very long day for us. We were doing like, I don't know, 10, sometimes 12, 15 demos a day. But you know, it was a real big grind in the early you know, beginnings of this journey. We're a four person team. We're doing support. We're doing, you know, marketing, sales, product, operations, like everything. Right. And you add on to that, like 15 demos a day. So it was definitely a lot. Um, it was definitely a ton of energy, a ton of grind. I remember doing demos and support at the same time. So I'm like talking, selling and chatting and intercom all at the same time. So, um, it definitely became a big process. I think as it went on over the months, you know, our energy definitely started to fade our ability to do what started to fade. But at the end of the day, we would just wake up every day and be like, this is what's going to build our MRR. And it did every month we were able to sell. We did some pretty cool things on there. We offered free month. If you signed up on the call within like an hour or two of the call. So a way to like have scarcity and drive the close right there on the call. We offered a discount. If you like um, just join the call. So ways to get our show up rates higher. We did like video pre video follow-ups and post uh, demo follow-ups based on the different actions and pathways they took. So we really try to just like operationally, like make it as seamless as possible, but it really did just drive our, our MRR up until we got to a place where we could then afford to just be like pure 
self-serve. Um, along the way, we realized that we were just keeping this so open-ended that we had so many demos coming in that it was going to everyone. And we have a product, a good problem with our product, which is that it serves everyone. And that was kind of the big lesson along the way was that we were marketing Demio as just a marketing webinar platform. There was no like specific market that we were going after. It was just like, here's so you a- had, It was marketing webinar platform, but you didn't have a for blank at the end of that exactly, sentence. Exactly, exactly. And I remember we sat down one day at one of our meetings. We meet like every, every week we sit down and meet about stuff. And we're just like, what, what is that for blank? Like, what is that thing? And so we had to go out and continue these conversations with our customers. We, um, you know, did paid surveys. We, you know, got on calls with uh, our best customers and our worst customers. And we just got like a good segment. And we really saw a, a great segment being SaaS companies, mid-market SaaS companies, which is now our target ICP who are actively working on uh, bringing in because of the use cases and the problems that they face. So as we found that out, we then started to filter that demo process down to certain demographic types that we thought would contain that ICP. That then filtered down even more to what, what it is now. And we have personalization on Demia where only, I guess, clear bit revealed companies that fit that ICP uh, breakdown get access to even get a demo. So we'll only do maybe about five, you know, seven demos a week now, but at this point they are very targeted. Yeah, we have almost hyper-qualified, hundred percent show up rates, you know, very good closes. We don't do hard sales on them. It's just like we walk through, we answer your questions, we validate product features that are coming out. We learn about things that are important for that ICP to, to put on our roadmap and prioritize in the future. And uh, ultimately we can kind of help them activate and, and make sure that this is going to be a good fit for them moving forward. That's an interesting transition. And I think especially in narrowing down, you know, who's the ICP within all this, you know, one, I've told this story, I'm sure on past episodes here, but my first business with my co-founder and I of that, the downfall of it was we couldn't figure out the for whom part of that mm -hmm. sentence. Yeah. And we had like three or four different target audiences but we were trying to sell the same product to all those audiences, which made it impossible to even like create the right landing page, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't as ubiquitous enough as like a banking app or like, I guess like a general like consumer facing thing. It wasn't like as ubiquitous sure. as that where you could get away with not, not putting the for whom. It was just, you know, we saw we were getting some interest from three or four different markets. And instead of picking one, we kept being like, oh, but if we pick one, then we shoo away these others. And then we're giving up on that audience. Should we be doing that? And that was always our big struggle. But that ultimately was one of the reasons that we, you know, we couldn't really get it off the ground. Because um, yeah. it's just really hard to make decisions when you're trying to make decisions on behalf of four target audiences. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's the big, I guess, kind of the big reason for this, which like the product roadmap became so big and so robust. Like you're, you're looking at feature requests from everyone and everywhere. And that will lead you to a very like feature bloated, heavy product. And a big value that we have coming from Wyatt is, you know, simplicity in product and a very easy to use product. So keeping things as easy as possible, reducing features. There's often times where we pull out features and we try to keep it just like, if we could have like two buttons, perfect. That's, that's all we want. Like we want as simple as possible. And I think that really became a big catalyst in this conversation. It's like, how do you do that with all of these markets? Now, 
you know, I would be remiss to say like our only customers are SaaS companies. That's, that's absolutely not true. I think it's a percentage of our customer base that we're going to continue to focus on so we can build features and functions for them so that we can do like marketing language for them. But we have flywheels built in these other niches. We have you know, a lot of word of mouth happening in them. We have a great product that still serves a solopreneur. We have a great product that still serves the consultant, you know, an enterprise company, an education company. So we get signups, we get trials for those companies all day long. They convert and they're, they're big customers of ours. They're some of our best customers. But you know, for us as a platform moving forward, we're going to have to continue to like just hone in for our messaging for our product in that direction. And a lot of those, all those features and functions that we're building for will ultimately still serve other people, but we just want to do it in our way so that our lens is focused on them. Yeah. I, th- I think the, what you're saying here is that it's okay that you have some other customers who don't fit that ICP. However, those are the ones who fall into the funnel. You're not like, you're not pulling them into the funnel. They, right. they happen to find Demio. They're like, oh, this could probably work for me. You're not proactively seeking out those kinds of customers though. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And we're not going to turn them away either. Well, yeah. And, and now um, I want to just clarify one thing. A few minutes back, you said in the early days, you were running activation demos. Now that's the term that's that's a term I have not heard before, and I'm just wondering what is it just nomenclature of a demo, or did you mean something specific by activation demo? Yeah, well, I think a lot of times you can talk about demo in the early parts of the sales process where it's like someone's interested in your product and you're running a demo to showcase the product, answer their questions, push them into a sale or a trial, which is what we're doing right now, right? Like early like, pre-sales demos. When I say activation demos, and I was specifically talking about a launch period where we were selling Demio as a discounted annual account. And in that discount, you would get a one-on-one walkthrough of how to use the platform for your business. So it was more of a one-on-one call, but in a demo format where we would ask them about their business and then showcase how to use the platform. But they were already a customer. So there was no drive to sale. It was just let's learn about your business, your use case, and show you the platform. So I was saying simply activating them, almost like an onboarding one-on-one call demo. Yeah, okay. So it's to get them to start using it and they've already agreed to, to buy that, that discounted annual. But they've already paid for the product at yeah. that point. Yeah. Okay. If you had a do-over, would you do that again? Or do you look back and say, maybe we should have gone a different route? Well, I definitely think we did a launch. I don't think launching... a our, our product was ever our goal. I don't think that was ever our goal. I think we did it because of the circumstances and where we were at. We spent so many uh, or so much time in development that we got to the point where like, we have to do something to bring in runway. And we did, we, we brought in six months of runway for our team, um, which gave us time to then build up the MRR to meet that. And I think it, it really like, a lot of your strategy has to depend on where you are in that exact moment, right? There, there's always the perfect strategy. And then it's like, you just have to do what you have to do. So for us, we had to do what we had to do and launching was, was that thing. Do I think launching is a good strategy for everybody? Probably not. Was it a great strategy for us? Probably not. I think if we went back again and, and redid this story, it would be how can we create a very easy to use simple core uh, and then get on these calls with customers learning what they want and simply build out small pieces of this over time, build up that MR over time. But that would also have changed the entire story of Demio. You know, we would have not had two years of development. We probably would have had a month of development and we would have had a lot more runway and could have done this stuff differently. So, you know, when you kind of go back and you look at the story again, you know, so many variables change. Um, the launch process again, probably wasn't great because we brought in so many of the wrong customer types. Um, 
you know, looking back now, it's like, yeah, we brought in a lot of solopreneurs, early stage startups that like maybe weren't utilizing Demio that much. So like activation usage wasn't really high, which is always good when you're first starting, right? In early stages, like to get a lot of like high usage users in so you can see what's working, what's not working, all that kind of stuff. So we kind of lost a lot of those early feedback loops, which is why we had to go push onto these sales demos so heavily. We've talked about the customer base. We've talked about some product changes. Um, I want to get into some team learnings next. But before I do that, I just want to take a step back and let our listeners know about our show's partner, which is Sales Hacker. So David and I are having a conversation right now about how Demio is sold, which because as a SaaS company to make money or as any company, they have to sell their product. So that means if you're listening to this show, you are in some way involved in selling your product. And that means you should be part of the Sales Hacker community. It is the world's largest and smartest forward-thinking community for B2B professionals. It is 135,000 members strong, which means whether you're the CEO, the head of sales, the sales rep, the account executive, even the marketer, Sales Hacker is going to help you get better at your job with things like podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including Lemoi. Every now and then I'm a contributor on Sales Hacker. And they've also just launched something really cool on their site to make it even more engaging and interactive, which is a discussion feature. So now all the content that's posted, you can get involved in message board-like discussions through the Sales Hacker website. And they also are doing weekly AMAs, Ask Me Anythings, where sales leaders are coming on and you can actually spend an hour with them through the message board, just like Reddit. And they do AMAs about their knowledge, their career, their journey, and their company. It is a ton of good stuff, and I love what they're doing over there. I'm happy to have them as a partner of the show. To join them, all you have to do is go to www.saleshacker.com. It's all free, 100%, gratis. Again, you can join the Sales Hacker community for free to get access to those articles, podcasts, research, webinars, AMAs, and more at saleshacker.com. I also want to give a shout out to the Blissful Prospecting Think Outside the Script Summer Tour. My friend Jason Bay, who kicked off this season of the show, and the Blissful Prospecting team have been hosting the Think Outside the Script virtual tour all summer long, where it is, in my opinion, the sales version of Lollapalooza, or maybe like ESPN's 30 for 30, only in their case, it's like 42 for 105, uh, stretching through into early October. It is the premier summer event that is all about how to get more meetings as a salesperson. So if you are that SDR, if you are that account executive, if you're that founder who's driving sales for your company, this tour is for you because you're going to hear from some of the goats in the game like Todd Capone, like Leah Niederthal, like Beck Holland, like uh, Liston Witherell, myself. I wouldn't call myself a goat, but I do happen to be a speaker on that. I do happen to be a speaker on that tour. I had my session recently and it was lit, let me tell you. The topics range from things like mindset, productivity, cold email, cold call, psychology of your buyer, LinkedIn and personal branding, and more. It's all live, it's all interactive, and it's all 100% free. We love the free stuff on this show. So if you want to sign up for one of the talks or if you want to sign up for all of the remaining talks, you can do that at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. It won't cost you a dime. And guess what? The average attendee is signing up for over 15 talks in the tour. tour.blissfulprospecting.com.
Today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are here with David Abrams, the co-founder of Demio, and we are peeling back the onion on the lessons learned from their team running 4,000 plus demos. Now, David, I mentioned we've talked about lessons learned about the customer base, lessons sure. learned about the product along the way. I want to talk about lessons learned about your company itself, your team. I would imagine at first it was you and your co-founder, Wyatt, just doing the whole thing. And then at some point, you have to offload that onto other team members. Uh, is that assumption correct? Well, I would say even from day one, we had to do that because neither one of us was a technical co-founder. And that became uh -huh. you know, another lesson, though. So we're both marketing and business backgrounds. So you know, instantly, you're bringing in engineering like straight up. So uh, in the early days, the team was, you know, two engineers and me and Wyatt, and that was the team. And then as you started to grow, you're now at 22 team members overall. Um, as you started to grow and you start bringing on other, let's call them uh, people on the business development side, whether it's marketing or sales, um, how did you factor in transitioning, not doing all the customer conversations yourself into the bigger picture of well, but we're making product updates now. So do we have to be the ones communicating it or do we let our team members communicate it out you know, to the field? Yeah, so well, I wanna first say that I think me and Wyatt have kept a lot of the sales and marketing stuff internal. Like we're right now in the process of looking to hire our first marketer. Mm. We've done a lot of this stuff on our own. Uh, again, that was kind of the strength that we came in with. So we kind of leveraged that strength along the way, operations, uh, sales and marketing. Um, so we are at that process now where we want to offload that. Most of the hires have gone into engineering, have gone into support. We've talked about service earlier and what that means. We have 12 people on our team that are in the support team itself, which is a huge percentage of our of our team, right? Our team staff. But we do have 24 hour a day live chat support. We try to answer everyone within two minutes. We understand the importance of like having someone there and great support teams uh, being there standing by. Like we always looked at companies that did great support. We're like, we want to be like that. We want to have great service. And pretty much all the testimonials and feedback that we get come back to like, not only is the product easy to use, but there's always someone there standing by and they feel supported. And that's just like a great uh, part of our word of mouth, part of our business differentiator. And I think that's been a huge win for us. Um, so we do have some people that transition into product. We do have two product people along with Wyatt, who is really now our chief product officer. And, you know, we've really got to the point where, well, I guess part of our leadership style is when you step into a role, we'll give you the responsibility to take that stuff on. Um, but of course we want to make sure that you have the ability to, uh, articulate our brand voice and language and all that stuff. So once you kind of understand that and are able to do that, we'll give you free reign to send out messages, be the voice and tone, like be that person. So, you know, I think of Bethany in our education department doing webinars, getting on calls with customers, doing, you know, onboarding webinars, doing uh, partnership webinars. She got the voice and tone down. She came from support. She was able to, to know the brand. And then we gave her free reign to do it because we trusted her. I think trust is such a big part of our team culture. Um, and that, you know, unless you need something, we kind of give you the opportunity to do it on your own. And then you can come to us as you need for help. But so much of that is also like looking at their values and understanding who they are, you know, when you're hiring them and stuff like that. So we do try to take a little bit more time in our hiring process to make sure we understand, you know, your goals, your values, who you are, what you want, how to, how to maybe push you and drive you along the way in that career. Well, so if, if the emphasis on the hiring has really been on like support and, and you mentioned education as well, I would bucket that all as like the Department of Customer Success. Yeah. Yep. Um, what a lot of companies run into is the pre-sale 
is poorly aligned with customer success. And once the sale is made, whoever that account manager is, or if it's a, whatever you want to call that title, customer success person, they now have a customer account where it's like they were sold this bill of goods. Like, wait, 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 wait you said what? Or, you know, they, they told you what, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, what they thought they were getting is necessarily what they are getting, or they have to like play catch up on, you know, on, on what was said on the pre-sale. And it can cause a lot of friction, ultimately lead to a lot of sure. churn because expectations aren't met. Yep. What lessons have you learned from running all these demos on how to best set up your customer for success by setting your team up for success? Yeah, I think that goes back to some of the values that we just have in the company, which is transparency, you know, um, and, and trust. And I think a lot of times, like, first of all, we don't have like a sales quota. We don't have like sales teams that we're like pushing those numbers on. And I think a lot of that stuff happens when you have those like structures in place that you're, you're forcing in growth, you need to hit milestones. So you start doing things that get you to that goal. You kind of like, you know, um, erasing some of the edges of, of, of honesty there. But for us, it's always been like, we can, if this platform doesn't fit the needs that you have, we can recommend other platforms that we think might even suit you better. Like the honesty and transparency there is like, here's what our platform can do. Here's what we're good for. And a lot of times on these sales demos, what I actually will do is just sit down and be like, you know, tell me a little bit about your business, what you're looking to do with webinars. Um, what are some features or functions that I can show you here that you're curious about? You didn't see correctly on the website. A lot of it's more just about breaking through that transparency, building that trust, showcasing maybe how they can use it for the use case that they're looking for. Um, and, you know, just trying to build that relationship on just a foundation of like, this is our product. Our product is, is exactly what it's going to be. I'm not going to sell you on anything crazy. Try it, take it for a test run. We can extend that trial if you need to. Um, we're going to be there to support you through that process, but we want more than anything to make sure that this is the right product for you because it won't make sense to sell you on a product that you're going to realize in one month doesn't fit your needs. You're just going to be frustrated and angry and back on that search. And that's a terrible experience. So we want to flip that by giving you a great experience. So, um, you know, on our comparison pages, we try to be very like kind and honest about our, our competitors and, you know, what they do and what we do differently. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of been one thing where now when customer success comes in there, there isn't, something that they have to worry about because they're having the same conversation, the same honest, transparent conversation of what Demio can and can't do. I've got a couple more questions here before we hit our wrap up. Um, One of them is, you know, selling a webinar software. Uh, I think you were in the, you talk about the gratitude from earlier. I think you probably have a lot of gratitude for that amidst all the, you know, damage of, of the pandemic this year. Crazy. Um, it's probably put Demio actually, I would say Demio probably like ascended because a bunch of people are like, oh man, we have to do everything virtual now. Uh, Can you talk through how the business changed even in the last four or five months? Yeah, I think, you know, gratitude is the right word. Um, Can't be, you know, uh, too, too big on that. I mean, I think, well, you have to be big on that because it's just been crazy to see what's happened in some of these industries and verticals with the different businesses. But, you know, for us, we've got a huge tailwind. Um, we saw in March, this crazy spike in utilization, new leads and customers coming in. And, um, we saw more in two months from March and April of utilization than we did in all of 2019. Uh, so we saw a ton of events coming in. We've utilized more in the past six months. I think our entire, you know, 
three years of being actively live. So we, de we basically eight times utilization, like so utilization went up eight times. Um, and then we basically about uh, tripled our business size in that six months. So it's been, you know, a, a definite big spike. We're still growing. We're on a very good like trajectory. But I think the big thing that's that's been nice is that, um, you know, we've got really good word of mouth coming from that. A lot of new customers and industries that have found us. We did during this time, a lot of discounts for nonprofits, um, for education companies. We tried to really give a lot of discounts or uh, freemium accounts and stuff like that to help companies that needed it. Um, so we've been able to see, yes, a large, a large spike of usage in customers, but some of the feedback that we've heard, like helping charities and the nonprofits survive these times, raise mm. a ton of money, like a lot of really cool, like, um, you know, uh, non, uh, nonprofit galas and stuff like that, that went off and, and raised tons of money during this and being part of all of these different, uh, social, uh, you know, systems and stuff like that. That's been really amazing to see as well. So as you got, you know, inbound interest from all different types of customers, uh, it sounds like that has, even though you're getting those, it's not steering you away from that core target audience. Is that right? That's right. And I think that's right because a lot of these use cases, although coming in for the, like coming in for this time may still be utilizing it for a use case. Like, Hey, we're just going to use this during the pandemic, or we just have one or two events and then we don't need Demio anymore. Or, you know, we're going to use this for education until we go back to, to school. So those use cases don't necessarily mean that Demio itself is being like, completely activated into their business. We're just replacing something right now. So for us, our target market is still about going into a mid-market SaaS company where Demio can be utilized for the education team to do onboarding webinars, for the sales team to do, you know, daily de uh, sales demos, uh, for your marketing team to do large lead generation webinars, for your demand gen team to do, you know, demand generation webinars, where all of a sudden Demio's value and use cases extend beyond just a singular focus or a singular use case. And that's really why we found that market to be where we wanted to go, because we saw so much value extension that we could do and so much value uh, alignment with those teams. And, and those ones have historically stayed with us the longest, utilized us the most, got the most value out of us. And uh, you know, that's kind of why we've stayed focused on that area. Of course we can affect and, and help tons of companies, education companies have come to us and been like, can you build, you know, a specialized thing for education sectors? And you know, that's always a conversation from leadership is like, do, is this the right move? Are we still going in the right direction? Do we need to pivot and change based on the world events? Um, but for us, we still feel like we're on a good direction because of uh, the feedback that we got, the feedback loops that we have right now with our ICP. We really feel like we're heading towards the right direction. Now, something you may have also seen over the last five months or so, um, because there's been a overall interest in virtual things, right? Perhaps it's almost like, you know, in a way I think like Zoom becomes a competitor or someone else, you know, who can, who's rivaling Demio, not necessarily in feature set, but in someone's, you know, in their head, their use case. Um, have you found in the pandemic economy more custom, you know, more prospect conversations happening around, hey, you know, Zoom does this or, or insert other company does this. Like, what do you say to that? You know, have you found more like having to like compare yourself to competitors and what's your advice for navigating those elements of the conversation? 
Yeah, I mean, we've always kind of had that. You know, I think initially our company has really started as like another webinar platform, right? We're kind of competitive in that space for other webinar platforms. But our mission has always been to be a unique product, kind of have our own unique category, which is why we're going so deep on marketing and sales focus. We want to really be an engagement marketing platform, something that can't necessarily be competitive to Zoom because yes, we may both do video streaming, but will Zoom ever have, you know, like built-in um, uh, integrations with a CRM that provides engagement analytics, can do uh, uh, filtering of certain sales and marketing functions that we're doing. We'll have a fully interactive experience based on engagement and those like kind of lead scoring metrics. So there's going to be things that we're going to build in that really just take us so deep into that industry that we're no longer another webinar platform. We're something of our, you know, our own category. And I think that is ultimately how we will be able to compete against, uh, you know, category giants like a zoom or go to webinar or something like that. We just can't be another video communication thing. Cause then you're constantly a feature comparison away mm -hmm. from what they're wanting, you know, and then you're just like in a pricing battle going down in pricing. So if we can do something that's unique, we can price as we want because the value extension will be, unique to us. And I think that's really where we're going to win. And yes, that means we have to keep narrow in our focus of our marketplace of the features and functions that we build and how that, you know, competes in the marketplace. Let's begin our wrap up. Where can our listeners find you and learn more? Yeah, definitely head over to demio.com. That'll be, you know, we can find more about our product. We do have that live chat there. So reach out, say hi to our team. They're always there to say hello. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the only social channel I have left. Uh, do a little bit of a social media cleanse myself. But um, you can also listen to, to my podcast, SaaS Break, that you can uh, hear me talk with other SaaS marketers. You were on there. Um, Jason from um, Blissful Prospecting was on there. So some great Oh, nice. You had Jason on too. Great. Yeah, Jason was great. It was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I meant to mention that earlier and I forgot, but yeah, David hosts the SaaS Breakthrough Podcast. Uh, it's really good stuff. I highly encourage um, I highly encourage people to listen to that and I'm pretty scrutinous, is that the right word? About podcasts. So uh, yeah. I don't give that recommendation lightly that, it, that it's a good show. Appreciate um, that. My next question is something that I'm, this is, you're, gonna, you're the first person to get this question. I'm, I'm adding it into the Perfect. ending of every episode moving forward. Uh, who's someone that you want to shout out publicly, whether that's your, a, a team member, a client, anyone in your network? All right. Well, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say everyone on my team, the entire Demio <laughs> team, that's, that's kind of a cop out, but you know, from my co-founder Wyatt, who I've mentioned earlier to, you know, Alexander, our director of engineering, every single person on our team, man, they show up every day, through the pandemic, through everything that we've got going on in life. I have team members that are showing up sick with COVID. They don't even want to take a day off. Uh, like, so they're, they're just amazing, dedicated. And, uh, you know, the company wouldn't be alive without them. So shout out to, to the Demio team. Uh, we will now to close out, each give our top one or two lessons or takeaways based on our discussion today for the listening audience. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Topic today was lessons learned from 4,000 plus demos. I think the biggest thing that I pulled from our conversation um, amongst all the nuggets was towards the end there, but you also touched on it in the beginning. Um, when it comes to competitor conversations, like when your prospect is talking to you about uh, the competition, don't get sucked into like trying to get into like a fist fight with them, or, you know, a verbal fist fight where you're like, Oh no, we're better for this reason. And it's just going to make you look bad. Uh, I think instead the better path is to focus on what you do well, 
come back to your voice, your message and your mission. And they're going to either align with that or not. (laughs) And if they don't, you know what, maybe they weren't going to be the right customer anyways. That's so true. I love that. Well, you said it, so. (laughs) (laughs) You said it really well. You said it really well. Um, David, uh, from your end, top, you know, of the, of the 4,000 plus demos and all the lessons learned uh, for our listening audience today, what are the top one or two lessons or takeaways you have for them? Yeah, I think in the early days, you really have to do things that don't scale. I know that's so cliche to say, but you know, just utilize that time to really like learn, speak with your customers, learn from them and utilize that to be like very agile with your decision-making. Like what things we need to put in the product, what things should we change in our messaging and stuff like that? Because that's really where you'll find product market fit fast. I think when we talk about, you asked about like mistakes we made in the past, that was the area that we really messed up on, right? We didn't start small. We didn't learn and then build bigger. We built what we thought we needed and then try to market it, which is a lot harder to do. Um, so just be, be okay with flexibility and changing those directions. And um, yeah, I think that that's a big lesson. My final question, which is how we end every episode of the show, fill in the blank, David. Entrepreneurship is blank. Effing tough. I think would be what, I, what I would say, I think it's definitely like um, something that you have to have a really strong mindset with persevere uh, to, to have a long answer, you know, I, I really think about entrepreneurship, like climbing uh, a forested mountain, like you start off this, this hike and this trek with so much energy and excitement. You're so excited to climb. You're like running, uh, you're going so fast. And then, you know, you make it to a clearing and you look out and you see you've only come a little bit up the mountain and you're like, Oh man, <laughs> we, we have so much to go. Uh, and then you just keep pushing yourself and you, you see a little bit more and you're a little bit further, but you're starting to get tired along the way. Um, you know, really so much of this is a journey. It takes a long time. You know, SAS is a five to seven year game. You really have to just be aware of your energy, uh, you know, really build work-life balance into what you're doing. Don't burn yourself out too early because you'll never make it up that mountain. You know, burnout's such a real thing. Um, you also have to like recognize that you need to find times to celebrate the small moments. You know, it's not going to be just at the top of the mountain, celebrate moments when you get to those clearings, Use, utilize that time to like look back on where you've came from and what you've done. Um, and then rest as you need, make sure you're able to just, you know, get yourself all the way there, you know, just keep pushing uphill and, and you'll make it one day. I don't, I do not associate the word stress with David Abrams. So I, I think you, I think you've, you've nailed that, uh, rest when you need to angle of the whole, whole equation. There you go. That's what you need to do. Yep. He is David Abrams, co-founder of Demio and host of the SaaS Breakthrough Podcast. David, thank you for joining us today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for your time. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guest for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.